0: Hi, this is Sarah Tebow, And this is Liz Bernstein, and we are the hosts of the SideWoo podcast. This is a space to investigate
1: what makes a creative life possible. From the mundane to the sublime, the physical to the
0: metaphysical. Welcome to the SideWoo.
1: Hello, SideWooers. I hope this finds you well and enjoying the first days of summer wherever you are. I guess technically not summer, but you know what I mean. We at the SideWoo are really excited to bring you the interview that we recently did with trans artist Eli Thorne. And, you know, it was not on purpose, but it is definitely appropriate that this episode comes out June 1st, the first day of Pride Month. So happy Pride to everyone who celebrates. We're really excited about this interview. Both Liz and I met Eli first as co-directors of Royal Nonsuch Gallery back in, I want to say, 2015 or 16. And Eli had just finished grad school, and I'm not sure who brought his work to the group, also including artists Dana Hemingway and Zoe Talaporis, who is a curator. We were really excited about our studio visit with Eli. And, you know, he was talking about his relatively new experience transitioning And the work that he was making around gym culture and all the potential for toxic masculinity and how he felt now being kind of associated with that culture. So it was really interesting. And, you know, I think some of the same things that we talked about then are still kind of coming up. We talked with Eli about coming out, transitioning as a trans man, dating as a man for the first time on Tinder which, you know, can be a hellscape, but in Eli's case, he found love. So that's awesome. The dark spiral that is Instagram and how artists have kind of like a love-hate relationship with it. And also how he feels about becoming a dad with his longtime partner. So it was just a really good conversation. And, you know, with politics as they are, it feels more important than ever to really elevate voices like Eli's we talk about in this episode that it can be a lot of emotional labor for people in that community to do all the heavy lifting, you know, and sometimes it's just enough for people to live a happy, quiet life as the person that they want to be. So that's partly why, you know, as I continue with this show, I really want to be a better advocate, especially as the stakes are being raised around the country and around the world. So I invite you, if you feel moved to support LGBTQIA rights, please consider volunteering to support local elections this year and donate to organizations like the ACLU or Tech for Campaigns. And at the very least, make it your mission to vote, even in the primaries. Voter turnout is super crucial in every election, but especially when the margins are so tight and especially in state legislatures. Voting rules and redistricting all happen at the state level. So, you know, the presidency in 2024, the race really starts at the state level where the people who are put into power in these small elections get to decide the rules, whether or not they're actually constitutional for how and who gets to vote. So I would just say, you know, pay attention, do what you can. Small donations, small amount of time here and there really make a difference. I personally love Tech for campaigns, but I just want to encourage you to find a way to pitch in, even though I know it's a lot and we all have a lot going on. So, with that, I will move on. I should also mention that our technology really started to fail about 20 minutes into the interview, and specifically my technology, my internet kept cutting out and then my files weren't recording to my desktop. So I had to like pop in and out of our conversation multiple times. So there's a little bit of extra like sound effects and some cute little banter between Liz and Eli as they're waiting for me to join. Um, So I wanted to apologize for that and also really shout out a big thank you to Zencaster who helped us retrieve our files from the back end. They literally had me like pasting code into some source code box. And, you know, I don't know how they did it, but they got us the files for the audio and made it possible for us to share this really wonderful conversation. So thank you again, Zencaster. If you have any thoughts or feedback about this episode, please do not hesitate to reach out. You can email us at thesidewoo at gmail.com. If you enjoy our episode, feel free to subscribe rate, and review, and share the SideWoo with your woo woo friends on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. And follow us on Instagram for updates at the SideWoo. Also, every week I publish a newsletter about the show on my art date substack. So if you want to follow along for behind the scenes details about each episode and an expanded conversation about some of the themes that we go into, You can go to artdate.substack.com, which will be linked in show notes. Thank you so much for listening and strap yourself in. It's going to be a wild ride.
0: No, we're all here. We're fresh. We're ready
1: feeling more connected than ever after our struggles (laughs) yeah exactly it's like we're survivors we've made it through and now we're trauma bonded
2: literally though i feel a lot more relaxed and goofy so that's
0: good yeah i mean there oh, literally is nothing like watching somebody sweat under the stress of tech. I mean, you're a teacher, so you know that there should be mm. like the Benny Hill song when the teacher is like trying to plug yes. something in and turn something on. It's like, doo, 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 you know, or that's that's a circus song, yeah. but you just look like.
1: Well, that was Liz when she went to go get one of her headsets before you came on, Eli, like. All of a sudden she ran and I heard door slam, stomp, 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 boxes being moved around. It was like total sound effect. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Clang. Choo, 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 yeah.
1: yeah. Like car honk. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, goodness.
0: Sarah, you probably want to start with the question you want to start with.
2: Yeah. Eli, what sign are you? I'm a Sagittarius. Oh, um, cool. Leo rising and Leo moon.
1: I was going to say, you have so much Leo. I can feel it.
2: <laughs> Definitely, the, yeah.
1: The big Leo energy, if you will. That's cool. How does
2: Sagittarius show up for you? Ooh. I immediately wanted to re- talk about the shadow parts of Sagittarius. Yeah. Um, well... I think, I don't know, it's hard because I get like a lot of the fire signs mixed up. My parents are a Sagittarius and Aries. And so I like to compare myself to them, which is always healthy, mm-hmm. right?
1: I come from a Pisces family and I'm a Scorpio. Okay. And like yeah. we're both water, but they're
2: very different. Mm. Well, I also have a lot of Scorpio in my chart too, so there's oh, cool. just as much Scorpio as there is like fire. So, oh, for interesting, or
1: worse. like a Scorpio Stellium or something. Uh huh. Oh, yeah. fascinating.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How's New York?
2: New York is really wonderful. Perhaps it's just the novelty still, but so far we've lived through a winter which apparently was really mm. mild so i'm, I'm told okay. constantly which is hilarious so, and that was really cool and novel and challenging but still really great and the is that because is... of the
1: snow like it was just really Correct. snowy yeah and the cold. cold
2: and like i actually understand why people have long johns oh yeah of course yeah my experience of wearing long johns was like as a kid going camping or skiing like one day yeah. And now, this is no, you never take them off.
0: Yeah. It, I mean, and it's what makes you
2: they're like under your yeah, clothes. Yeah,
0: exactly. So, where are you in terms of this transition? Like, you came from where to where, and what are you doing there? And yeah. who are you with? And what is your life like? Yeah. Give us, yeah, tell us everything.
2: Okay, here we go. So, it, it like most people, I think it starts in 2020. And the start of the pandemic, the mass exodus, right? And like, you, you're literally questioning every part of life when it's destabilized in such a mm-hmm. huge way. We lived in this warehouse type of apartment that only had a skylight and it had no windows. So at your eyesight, there was no way to see outside. So during a global pandemic, that was quite challenging. And
1: that was in East Bay.
2: Yeah, that was in Oakland. And so then our only access to outside was to take a dog walk or to see the outside, and that became very hard. We're lucky because my partner can work remotely, so that's literally the only way that any of this was possible. And we both happened to like the desert, and so we just said, fuck it. And we knew that there was a little bit of an art scene happening there, and it was a two-hour drive to L.A., so there was a lot of stuff that really made sense. And then we just left.
1: Because you were in Joshua Tree. Is that where you went?
2: Yeah. Area, okay. Yeah. And then we were there for about almost two years which i think is like a classic amount of time that people live in the desert before they're like fuck this and they're out but yeah i mean it was like it's an unbelievable place the beauty of it is its own thing and it was actually the fact that the heat was a little too much Mm. for me and that my studio was in the garage and the garage was not insulated Mm. we were renting I was literally in my underwear at six in the the morning painting feverishly for a few hours before I like got under the hose. And then I went back into the studio and that was so awful. And we didn't know if we wanted to invest more and we just weren't going outside the way we'd love to. We're super outdoor people, hiking, biking, you name it. That was just not really happening. And that's why a lot of people, if they can leave the desert in the summer. Yeah. It was just too much. Right. For us.
1: I feel like your work, before you moved, I would say that there were some themes that made sense for you to be in the desert, but it's like totally. it really infused your work with a new layer of meaning and iconography that, that maybe that's just why you were there. You were like there to connect and then now you can take that with you.
2: I don't know. I like to, he- I like to think about it that way. I was painting Joshua trees before I'd ever seen one in real life. I tend to do that in my paintings where I will paint stuff that I is either in my future in some Mm -hmm. way or I've done um, that too. Yeah.
1: yeah. Like I've painted a piano showroom and then that ended up being right where my office was in New York was next to this Steinway piano showroom (laughs) and I had never been there.
2: It was. Yeah, that's amazing.
0: I mean, it it does seem like art making could totally be in a little clairvoyant space Mm. because it's not being led by your intellectual pursuits, you know? Yeah,
2: I think that rings really true for me. And and this is funny because this is so part of like other parts of where this conversation could go. But I was making paintings in undergrad about being trans without really knowing what that meant. I was painting trans bodies without knowing really what trans was which is I think pretty amazing and so with that said painting is just like a really direct way to a spiritual practice and a direct line to who I am who I will be who I was kind of thing
0: in your undergrad what were you painting that you then looked at later and were like oh that's obviously about you know like my trans journey literally
2: I was painting like this form of this trans person with like 15 breasts and then like a couple dicks <laughs> and like you can't get more non-binary
0: right what's that about <laughs> right
2: yeah totally and also very undergrad I love it yes and it was to me it was like I was writing an office thinking about gender and like in a sports lens and I think that that carried through to grad school and the show that I did at Royal Nunsuch. but that's what's transitioned I think is literally like the work now is more about me and my process and who I am as opposed to this intellectual theoretical idea of gender, right? So I've been able to name it and hold it as myself rather than just painting about something else or somebody else.
0: I want to interject something about your show at Royal Nonsuch because I had an art transformative experience with your show that has always stayed with me and... This is it. So you did a lot of sculptures and like kind of crazy install stuff and sort of high, like pretty aesthetics was definitely not a part of your show. Like you were being intentionally gritty and look kind of like workout rooms, Mm -hmm. toxic masculinity, all that gruesome stuff that's important to look at. But so I remember we were like installing something and there was a Mountain Dew near it and the mountain dew was part of the work. Yeah. I didn't at that second mm-hmm. know the mountain right. dew was part of the work, so I was like what the fuck is there mountain dew doing? Nobody notices. There's like kind of like the game of thrones scenes where there's a Starbucks <laughs> cup, you know, accidentally <laughs> made it into season 8.
1: Oh really? It was like oh my god. Yeah.
0: It <laughs> was like
2: Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that, but you're like breaking the wall or something, the fourth wall, yeah.
0: Right, that's hilarious. Yeah, I was like how I was like, how am I the only person that sees this Mountain Dew bottle? And then I can't remember if I realized it, but somebody told me like, no, that's in the sculpture. And my mind was totally blown. because And it's not like this was my first day thinking about yeah. like things can represent things. You know, that... But there was something about I was so wholesomely yeah. being like, what the fuck is the Mountain Dew thing? And then to have a go right. from that and to just know that's part of the piece, I truly lost my shit. Yeah, I, I was like, that. oh, my God, I don't understand any. I, I loved it. I was so I was like, that's probably the best like art moment yeah. I could have had with anything.
2: <laughs> then you're like, oh, that's a Mountain Dew fountain.
1: Best Mountain Dew placement, no oh, doubt, cool. in the history of yep. art. Mm -hmm. the art making
0: it was amazing okay carry on with the present
1: yeah for listeners who maybe don't know what we're talking about eli's first solo show after graduate school is that Mm -hmm, right yeah was at royal nonsuch it was like an installation right yeah it was very site specific
2: it was titled yellow number five bruh yeah (laughs) that's right which is
1: the mountain dew yellow Mm -hmm. right yep
2: yeah yeah i think there's that chemical in there
1: and are you someone who drinks Mountain Dew or is it more just a reference to gym culture? No, I think it's a reference and it was like, I don't know. Did you spend a lot of time yeah. in the gym, like in high school? Were you a gym person? I was an
2: athlete. Actually. Yes. I, mm-hmm.
1: Cause I was too. And so that holds a really specific memory of the kind of dude. Sure. Or they would have the gallon jugs
2: of the colored liquid. They're pre-workout, yeah, that's what it, that usually is. So, what what kind of sports did you play? I played diligently and religiously water polo, which oh, wow. actually took me to college. That's and I went to UC Berkeley to originally play water polo. Then I something astrologically happened where I was like, "Look, this, what is this shit?" You know. And then, oh, I was taking art classes, and then. I was failing classes and my coach was like, you can't travel, which was a blessing because I couldn't travel on our, to our first tournaments because I was doing so poorly in school. And so I stayed behind and I ended up planning an entire garden with my roommate in our, oh, wow. our yard. And I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do, which is really funny because I have tourists in the 10th house, which is anyway, really earth-based. And then I've quit like a few days later. So you becoming a gardener is not outside the realm or. Yeah, exactly. And then and then it was like I was taking our classes at the, that time. And I was like, this is making sense to me where I, I was like trying to find something that I was good at or like semi good at. like felt like I had purpose because when you're an athlete in such a rigorous way, your whole life is devoted to one oh, yeah. thing that you don't necessarily know who you are outside of that which I, I think a lot of college athletes really struggle with that in general, Mm -hmm. but also say it was, it's always meant to happen. And, and then, yeah. And then quick, like my sophomore year, I was just dedicated to figuring out what art was and getting into that there. And then my grades went up.
1: Okay. (laughs) And did you, so do you quit sports altogether? And then we're like, I'm going to
2: refocus. Yeah, pretty much. I didn't even work out for a long time after that. Oh, wow. Okay. My relationship with my body and my relationships with fitness, as you all can imagine growing up in a world where it's like being an, an athlete in a woman's body is ca- contradictory to what you're being told to look like. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of tension there. And then, of course, being trans and queer in general, there's another layer of dissonance. Yeah.
1: I'm sure that was really confusing. Were you out in college then or
2: were you out before then? I was, I was, I had just come out as bisexual. Then I came out as a lesbian. And then that was feeling okay for a while because I was always wearing men's clothes Mm -hmm. for the most part. But then once I cut my hair, I was like, oh, fuck this is starting to align and then mm. the way that I dressed was aligning way more with how I was feeling and there was still a lot of years of battle of pressure to be this that and the other mm-hmm. but
0: what was your family's like notions of gender and like how how did that sort of play mm. into yeah. at what rate you were able to feel more aligned with your true self
2: yeah that's a good question in a very at what seems like an easy answer is not but it um,
1: doesn't seem that easy. Uh-uh. <laughs> years of therapy are spent on that question. <laughs> okay,
2: well, the, w- the years of thinking about it. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so I need to remember that. So my family, for the most part, was like, outwardly mm-hmm. very accepting to me. What happened behind doors was definitely probably a lot different. And then most certainly, when I came out as trans in graduate school, that was a lot different. What year was that? That was like 2012, 2013.
1: Where were we at politically with
2: trans rights at that time? They were just non-existent. That's because what I was thinking. being trans was not super known. Like yeah. I have friends who had transitioned 10 years prior to that who were definitely like just ships in the night in a way where they were just doing things secretively and quote unquote passing. And it was just. So little was known about it that, like, they were safer in a way than the climate now, right? It's Mm -hmm. like the more visibility, there's more danger. So, But my family is very, very conservative. And so Mm -hmm. that was surprising that I I was at least met with warmth Mm -hmm. with my close family. But my extended family... Doesn't know what to make of it. The silence the silence speaks volume let's just put it that way yeah Mm, okay and like christian and it's still still very with me and something i'm i talk about in therapy ad infinitum just like the battle of that is so part of my journey i think is Mm. the battle of patriarchy within myself within my family and then at large it's pretty intense for sure
1: Yeah, I mean, there's so many touch points that I feel like we could dig into. I'm like, I don't even know where to start. But just thinking about going back to your body and like your relationship, maybe to your looks, just in a very superficial Mm. way. How did you feel like you were programmed? What was the tension like for you? Because I played fast pitch softball. And so. Oh, yeah, so did I. Yeah. Like I know a little bit what you're talking about when it comes to what's cool in softball, because it makes you stronger and better as an athlete and more intimidating or whatever. And then what like supposed to be like and how those two worlds it's almost like the reason sports like that become so insular is because they have their own codes, you know?
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. But so how did you kind of operate in in that and like how were you thinking of your identity and like fashion choices and stuff at that time mm. like maybe starting in high school and then to college
2: i think i was i was in trauma like i was in active trauma i think in my body like for mm. a lot of those years where i don't even know i don't even know if like i was thinking about it or if i was thinking about it it was it was horrible. And it seemed horrible because I was conditioned as a woman, right? And there were other layers that I totally didn't understand at that time. But of course, hindsight 2020, I can't tell if I, it was living trauma or if it I'm assigning that trauma something post. And sometimes I think that can be more harmful.
0: Well... You know, if you've been in enough therapy, the answer is always both. Yes. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yes, exactly. So.
2: Yes. But I think a real like a nugget that I hold on to or I when I learned this, I was like kind of blown away. Whereas, And it's still part of who I am. that phobia is like really strong, right, in our culture. And as Mm. a trans man transitioning or like understanding my body through that lens, you start to look at spots of your body that are. More feminine, and how those spots via fat phobia or what have you are way more triggering and cause dysphoria. So, like hips or Mm. that specifically, like if I have more fat on my hips or my outer Mm. thighs or my inner thighs, those areas, even if I'm not even overweight at all, but if I'm carrying weight a little bit, that is like woman, woman, woman. It's not even necessarily fat, it's just woman. And so
0: like a betrayal.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm super fortunate and feel great, you know, taking hormones. A lot of body fat has gone to other places. So really legitimately in the upper gut and like more male traditional spots. Right. And also remembering though, that Mm -hmm. like bodies are on a massive spectrum and there are so many men with big thighs and wide hips that are cis men and vice versa right so that is kind of been a savior is to remembering the diversity of bodies Mm. is not binary and like most things obviously aren't but
0: there's a lot of myths about the you know the dichotomy of male bodies and female bodies but if I just could pick one to just destroy in the moment it would be that men always weigh more than women and I feel like that is one of those things
2: I think it's Maybe the opposite, most. Yeah.
0: It's just so crazy yeah. to have that be. And if you, if, and if that's not true, it's basically like a you have failed. And like, how yeah. could every woman weigh less than every man?
2: You're not a teeny dancer. Yeah. No.
0: But it, like, even between the height and the like,
2: there's too much
0: sort of where you're from and the work. there's too much, there's yeah. too much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's how simplified these notions have gotten, where it's like, you know, you had to find yourself in this talk about a limited mm-hmm. structure where you have two options and both those options suck, you know? Absolutely. Like- <laughs> right, right. I'm like,
2: <laughs> yeah, and that's the same structure that folks are trying to pass bans on in sports, women, trans women playing sports, they're trying to categorize, like, what is a man? What is a woman? And that literally those break down in a second, right? Because everything's on a spectrum. So also say, I don't even remember what the initial question was, but Yeah,
1: well, just I mean, kind of generally talking about your relationship to your body, but then also thinking about the ways that you've shifted your approach Mm. and constructing your identity, you know, because I don't know, for me, Feeling like I wasn't always so in control of my body or how I looked, you know, or whatever, I felt like fashion became really important and being like, I can control my Mm -hmm. image to the max of what I'm able to do, you know? And so I don't know if you found that, not to say that you were like looking at Vogue necessarily, but oh, I have, yeah. Yeah.
2: I like fashion. You do? Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Fashion absolutely has been life saving. And and this is true for me, but obviously not for every trans masculine or trans person. But, and, but I do have a lot of friends and know folks that the second our body we started to medically transition and our body started to match how we felt, the more fluid I became and less rigid around a gendered clothing. So mm. I am way more likely to paint my nails now, wear a lot more jewelry, wear pink. Oh, that's so interesting. Whereas like when I was a dyke, I was like backwards hat, saggy jeans. And I felt comfortable that way, but that was a a lot because I just really desperately wanted to go so hard to the other side. Mm -hmm. And so now that my body is aligned a little bit more that I just feel a lot more fluidity as far as the way I can express my masculinity. And does it feel important to you to have that fluidity? I personally don't think, I think that my fashion can be fluid now but i would never see myself as gender fluid and i would never have seen myself like and that's not true for everyone but that's my experience that like no matter what i did with my fashion i've always felt very male and less Mm. gender binary so that for me is where gender expression and identity are more paired together whereas you know I could identify as a trans man but like still express very feminine I'm not sure I'm making much sense but it, No yeah no You're definitely perfect
0: sense yeah. I I think that one of the universal truths of this is like when people feel like they're under less pressure mm. you can be more playful you know exactly, and yeah. totally the idea of, of playfulness is just sort of being able to you know, if you feel like your life depends on showing the nail polish, I mean, this isn't you, but showing the nail polish to affirm a more female gender identity, you know, that's not playful. But if you are feeling like some of the pressure is off because your presentation is, is doing some of that heavy lifting, then you can be more playful with the nail polish, you know, is what I'm guessing. But that sense of play is like, on maswell's hierarchy or whatever like that doesn't come at level one you know you don't get the playfulness in survival mode no you're like very fucking serious about your choices because you're trying to like kind of stake your claim on what you are and where you are and what is happening you know exactly i mean
2: to sort of lecture everybody for a second sorry no i love yeah i love i love both of your lectures this is one of my favorite podcasts and i'm always like That was great. (laughs) I think Sarah might have. Sarah was
0: so happy that you said that, that she froze. Totally. (laughs) Sarah, Sarah, come back to us. Well, I'm going to ask the embarrassing question. What do you like about this podcast? That's an indulgent question.
2: Oh, my favorite and the easiest answer is the fact that both of you have a totally different perspective in that, you know, Liz tends to be more of a skeptic or has a little bit different worldview as Sarah, but that you two are working in harmony with those two opposing perspectives. And I think that's really important because all the podcasts I listen to are, that are woo, you know, are like, that's never questioned. And so anyway, it's nice to have both but you two are both really smart and have really great things to say and so it's nice I'm gonna miss you Elizabeth.
0: Thanks guys I would like to take this moment to have the the pitch that sometimes you can't do the things you want to do and Mm -hmm. like you know I feel like that perspective is also because generally the people who are culturally talking about things are the ones who are doing it even though they, you know, then fill in the blank. Even though they have two kids and a blah blah blah, or even though they've gone through oh, this yeah. and blah blah blah, they're they're out there doing it. So you know, I'm stopping the podcast, but it's not because I don't love Sarah. I don't love the podcast. I don't love the conversation. Oh, yeah. I just can't maintain. Oh yeah, a schedule because of honestly. I feel I really need my child never to listen to these podcasts because totally. it's not blaming him for this. But with the 24 hour day of the diabetes, I
2: can't it's exhausting, maintain
0: other things, yeah. you know, outside of sort of what has to be maintained. So I just want to like, for everybody else who's not doing it and has missed it and is not succeeding <laughs> at the thing, you know, that happens to everybody. And there's a lot of beauty in that space. Also,
2: Yes, yes. That's nice.
0: Are you back?
1: I feel a little out of sync with what you guys have been talking about, but I don't know. So in a previous interview, we talked with Desiree Holman. Oh, yeah. And yeah, and she's, as you know, an esthetician who used to be an artist, and she just really found her calling in doing that type of work and working specifically with the trans population to be a support. And channel. And I think she's now partnered with a trans person. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And so one thing that we talked about, well, there we a lot of things I feel like that could come up today too was just this idea of our bodies as these vehicles as we go through the world, you know, like the meat suit or whatever it is that you want to call it, and and how they connect potentially to our karma. If mm. that's something you believe, I guess my question would be do you believe in karma and do you feel like there's a karmic lesson inherent in being trans?
2: Yeah. Okay. So this is totally going to be a little bit of a spiral whirlwind, but of an answer, but perfect here for it. Right. Great, great, great. Okay. So when I hear karma, this is what I hear is karma is a bitch and Uh, okay. And so that is like my limited experience with karma. And so with that said, I, definitely don't believe that like coming into this world as a trans person is some sort of karmic retribution or no lesson in a way that's right because I and I think it's you don't think that obviously but I I think that I think about this so much oh okay and then I just beat my head against the wall every time because I just don't know and so I do think that we do have some sort of agency of deciding right what is gonna happen? But that's as far as I can. That's literally as far as I got and go. I think I'm very open to it. I think though that patro-lineage, How do you say that?
1: Lineage, patrilineage
2: Yes. Sorry, I'm having a hard time saying.
1: That. It's a hard word.
2: So I do think though that there's something karmically in this life of working with within the family systems and around patriarchy. And so I do deeply believe that like me being trans within my family's framework is potentially karmic or predestined or whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call it, because it is to me like working towards a greater good. You know, if I can be who I am and somehow still be within this family, like God willing, Mm -hmm. there is some good and there's seeds that are being planted, but also remembering that it's not my full job, like at all to fix all that but that i am just a little flower in the garden of it Aww, You oh know?
1: that is so sweet
2: but that's why yeah. i like to think about it
1: i love you in a like a garden of other trans flowers just um, anyway sorry um, <laughs> yes
2: yeah, you
0: sweet. know that brings <laughs> me to like the thought of you know how much pressure it can be to be like always explaining and always discussing and always educating and always like leading. And Mm. it is and it's inevitable because our culture is a mess and needs teachers and examples and people who can articulate how they are breaking down the systems of constraint that really bind us to a lot of abuse and toxic legacies. But, you know, it is a lot of pressure to like, why can't, one just live there, being able to live, yeah, without also being like I'm a teacher and mentor, a leader. I'm embodying all of these amazing, you know, Jesus. Like sometimes you just want right. to make mac and
2: cheese, yeah. You know?
0: So that that's a heavy role.
2: Yeah, I agree with that.
0: So I just want to talk to you about the heavy role of holding the cultural yeah. mantle of trans, and what when, when can you just like put it down and like Netflix and chill? Yeah.
2: Well, I love knowing that there are trans people who don't and don't give a fuck or feel like they don't have enough strength or and I love knowing that there are people who and also literally can't because of safety and access etc but I love knowing that there are still trans people living in peace and that's it just by being here is a miracle just by being alive is magical Mm -hmm. and that there are some people and I definitely don't categorize myself as anything other than trying to Vocalize when I feel energy and turn it down when I don't. And I'm unsure where I stand in that, but I've been part of the community more and less at Mm -hmm. different times in my life. I've run peer support groups and stuff like that, which I do feel called to try and do that out here.
1: Yeah, that's cool.
2: But I think like it's just a wave of. Sometimes you have the energy, and just like being a parent or being an artist, being a human being is just sometimes you have energy and you're, you're called to, and sometimes you aren't. But I still love knowing that there's people who are just like, someone else can do it. There was this woman, this author that I, I just went down to listen to her talk about her book. She's a local art author and sort of like a quasi biologist and ecologist. And she was talking about trans people and how trans people are like, some of the closest beings to being alive where like change there's it's, she said something like changes the way of nature and transforming yourself is always choosing to be alive and like choosing regularly to be that is choosing life and being alive that's beautiful and that didn't necessarily fit into the question but it felt like that that something I hold on to and um, Mm. feels like the flower in the garden or something, I don't know.
1: Yeah, well, and when I said karmic, I think I did subconsciously once you said that have this kind of slightly negative connotation, just because I know my own karma, like feels all negative, it feels hard, right to learn, like, I don't know, we're all in our hard journeys. Mm. But I think that karmic lessons, as far as I'm choosing to look at it for myself is like, loving myself more, you know, despite societal standards or being more free despite the boxes that I was put in, you know, when I was born or, you know, like going Mm. beyond what is dictated to me as my role, you know, and that can just be enough to just be painful. And so the people that you're talking about who are just living their lives, maybe their lesson is just like an internal one. Just love yourself give yourself the joy and pleasure and peace of just having a normal life, even though maybe you've been given this other kind of set of identity that isn't considered normal, quote unquote, you know? So I feel like karma can look a lot of different ways, but it usually is interpreted as negative. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, if that's it, then I completely prescribe to that. Awesome. Yeah. Well, and what the biologist said. Well, I'm right there with you. I think that sounds better. And also I think to kind of circle back to, art making a little bit is that i think what makes art making for me really challenging is that it is part of my spiritual practice it is about who i am and how i exist in this world and using nature as the like guidepost is really terrifying because when you're trying to have a career like generally in art is horrifying and terrifying and when it is about activism or your identity is Really fucking scary. Mm. And so every time you're on Instagram, you're just like there's levels and you've talked about this many times on here about the toxicity of that platform, but like the insecurities that one goes through on a second by second basis is like so insane. real. And so yeah, well, anyway, that's not really going anywhere, but I thought it was just yeah. Is
1: No, but do you feel like when you post on Instagram, do you ever feel like unsafe? You know, because i mean you're definitely like out on yeah, your profile oh, yeah. do you ever feel like there is this like tension of are people going to know too much and then i'm going
2: to be unsafe i don't feel physically unsafe okay that's good especially because i'm white and because i'm cis presenting i have nothing in the in a like immediate sense there's no safety issues in that way i think emotionally and psychologically I feel unsafe mm. all the time. Well. Wow. And I think a lot of artists would, whether or not they're trans, feel unsafe on Instagram. It is toxic. And it and you know, and yes, when I post and if I don't get X amount of likes, it is, you know, you've really gotta work yourself out of this, especially if you're someone like me who doesn't have a gallery, who barely shows, who hasn't really hit the ground running, so to speak. So it is just like this cycle of, is this really what I yeah. should do? Well, yeah. I
0: mean, Instagram, the culture of Instagram is such like a microcosm of the culture of the art world in a lot of different ways. And, you know, it is. Yeah. I wrote this one Mm -hmm. like phrase always goes on in my head. Like I remember in grad school, like the worst thing you could say about somebody's like painting or drawing or whatever was like, oh, it looks like a journal entry, you know, like it was just such an insult to have it be something that was just sort of like that should only be for you. Don't bring that into the cultural dialogue space like you
2: embarrassing human. Uh huh. And it's the opposite now.
1: Oh, my God. I know the amount of emotions we talk about now versus before is wildly different, for sure. Anyway, keep going.
0: But I feel like it's all wrong. Like every I mean, every single thing that you bring into the cultural space, of course, it's like a journal entry. And the way it is talked about is so abusive and toxic and disgusting (laughs) Like every, not to be like everybody should walk up to artists and be like, "Thank you for this precious gift you have given us." <laughs> let us let us honor it and discuss it as a whole, perfect, beautiful entity. But it could there could be some room for that. Yeah, so like a little bit like recognizing what you're doing. Being like, I'm just standing here for me, like tits out, waiting for everybody to discuss, and then I'm supposed to be like <laughs> cool and collected Absolutely. and you know secure it's just so fucked.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Anyway, that was that was a little rant.
1: I mean, we talked about this with Kate Rhodes, where and I'm actually an advocate for what her therapist suggested. But how you know, when non artists are like, Oh, my God, you're an artist, why don't you draw that? Or like, you know, you're in some group session, and they're like, Oh, well, Sarah, we should just have you draw that next time, you know, and you're like, Go fuck yourself. I have six figures in student loan debt. I'm not going to freaking draw your stick man for your presentation or whatever. You know, it's so offensive and they just don't mean it that way. And Mm. so I think that's part of the
2: problem. (laughs) Yeah. And I will. I want to add something that feels maybe a little bit of like a hot take. So one thing that irks me a lot about the Graham culture is that I've, there have been people I know that have done Instagram hard, you know, where you post every day, you have a thousand stories and you are just running it and for a couple years. And then the second they get representation or some sort of clout, then they start to say, don't exploit yourself. Don't do this, that and the other. And it's kind of infuriating. And so I try to hold that, like I see myself being judgmental about that too, but I also do it. And so I'm just constantly trying to reframe and be like, everyone is trying their hardest to make this shit work for themselves. Mm -hmm. Whether it's, you know, and just really trying to hold back from what Instagram wants you to do and get like mean girl vibes, but.
1: Well, and it penalizes you for not using it. You know, the algorithm. Oh
2: no, we're in a really weird delay.
1: (laughs) Okay, I'm going to reset. Hold on. Shh.
2: Okay. I know this is super juicy. It's like not even letting me restart.
1: Internet gods, why are you doing this to me?
0: I know it's so juicy. It is infuriating when people who are very successful are like, don't try so hard or don't want it so much, or don't, you know, put yourself out there in a way that's exploitative or whatever. It's just it does feel super disingenuous. And you know, the truth is that's probably their role at that point is to like, once you get really successful, like maybe part of not intentionally to like dig it into people's faces a little bit so that everybody Hmm. keeps wanting it, you know? Yeah. So everybody's got their part to play and the people who get up there, their part is sort of making it look sexy. It's so fucking sexy. You don't even have to be sexy to be sexy. You know, you're just like sexy because you woke up that day. It's like, yeah not even a thing.
1: Well, and, and they're like, I don't know, there's like a amount of like subconscious motivation and drive that maybe people who are really like workaholic, like myself included, like, I don't even know how much time I spend thinking about projects, because I'm like swimming in all the projects I'm doing. And so, like, my advice would be like, do things that align with your values and don't sell yourself short. But at the same time, I would never tell someone. I don't know.
2: You You do kind
1: of have to be obsessive, don't you think? I do. I do
2: think you do. I mean, that's the playbook that, that I've seen, right, is being obsessive and constantly posting and constantly doing it. So you just hit everyone over the head with like how fucking productive you are and how fucking prolific you are. Right. and. And I'm do it. Like, I absolutely do it. And I don't give a fuck. But I also give all the fucks at the same time. (laughs) I'm in this game for the long haul. Like, you, I have a shitload of student debt. I literally have to make this happen. We're trying to have a baby. Like, this is a no-joke situation. Oh, wow. That's exciting. (laughs) Yeah. It's totally exciting. Yeah. It's horrifying also. It's really Mm -hmm. horrifying.
1: Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, do you want to talk a little bit about that becoming a dad?
2: Totally. That's fun. I've never got to do that before.
1: I was going to say, so what does that mean for you? And like, how did that kind of Mm. come about like that decision to become parents?
2: It's been a couple of years we've been trying. And so because it's been taking so long, we have to reaffirm that decision every time we try. And that feels Mm. kind of rad because we know fucking for sure Mm. that we want it. And it's been really hard to see friends and family get pregnant so easily and without even thinking about it. That has been, I think, the most challenging for both of us in this is the access to pregnancy is free and like it can happen easily. And our process is arduous and expensive and. We really have to say yes to it constantly, even though we know it's gonna be really fucking hard and expensive and all the hard shit, but also beautiful. I mean, we we have a, we talk about it in therapy all the time. We're really doing all this shit oh, cool. like, and I think I'm just super excited, yeah, to be a dad and a in a way that like, in all the good ways, hopefully that my dad was a dad to me, but in all the ways that. I feel like I can improve that lineage, and like what does masculinity, whatever gendered child I have that I can try the best to be a better version of what came before me. That is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Gianna would say the same thing about like how she wants to mother.
1: I'm curious not to switch gears completely, but how was it dating? Because I remember you had a girlfriend as you were transitioning, and we can cut this out if you don't want to talk about it. But after going through the transition, you guys end up breaking up. Can you talk a little bit about what that was like? Kind of transitioning into a new body, and then dating. Was it weird to date for the first time? And and then, like, how did you meet Jana?
2: So I actually dated a few people when I was first transitioning. So the first woman was a lesbian, and. I think that in some respects, bless her, it was just not the right human for me. And she it was a really good excuse for us to break up because she was a lesbian and like I was a man. So that was like a really nice situation. The other person who I quickly jumped into with right after that, we just were not compatible as lovers and not compatible as partners. We had fun like and It happened. And we just but (laughs) but but she was so validating of who I was. It was like no skip. It was like she knew me before I identified as a man. And then as I was transitioning, it was very easy for her. And I think I found so much safety in that that I stayed in the relationship for longer than I should have, probably because of that validity and safety. Mm.
1: And then how did you meet Jana?
2: We met on Tinder
1: Oh, hey. Okay.
2: Yeah. That's a nice story. Really cute. We met on Tinder like two years before we actually went out. Oh, God, I'm going to be that like guy. We did, we met on Tinder. <laughs> we were supposed to go on a date. And Uh-oh. then I canceled because I had just got. Did you, you did something douchey? I did. And <laughs> no. then I, because I had just gotten out of a relationship and I was like mm. trying to not be a serial monogamous, like trying really hard. But I actually was like had many a long time without anybody. And then we started dating other people, Hmm. which ended up being, I think, karmic as hell to date these two people separately that were these really amazing partners in some respects for us. But then were just not. They just weren't right. And that they were lessons to be learned in order to get into the relationship that we have now. So. Mm. it was divine timing
1: (laughs) yeah oh that's great I love that and so how long between like connecting you said two years
2: yeah I was on Tinder again and I saw her but I accidentally swiped the wrong way Oh no! and I was like oh fuck but I know who that is because I found her on Facebook or whatever (laughs) so I tried to DM her in all the places and she finally saw it
1: (laughs) so you didn't have to like pay for the (laughs) rewind
2: that's cool Oh, that's a good story. But dating, being trans is actually horrible. Mm. And being on Tinder was horrific. It was like so obvious where I'd match with people. And then soon after they'd unmatch me Mm -hmm. or we'd match. And then I'd say, hey, how's it going? And then Mm -hmm. unmatch. And it was like clear as day that it was because I was Mm -hmm. trans, you know. And to some extent, great. I'm glad they did that because why would you want to go out with somebody who's, you know, on the fence about who I was anyway, so... But it is, it's not.
1: And so did they not have that as an option for gender? Or is that something that you wouldn't want? Or, you know, was that important to you? That's a
2: good question. Yeah.
1: Because I know there's like the kink app, which has like 40 different gender preferences. Right. I
2: know. Yeah. I put, there wasn't an option, but they tell you like the option of who you're looking for. There's that. And then I obviously came up for people who are looking for men. And then I'm imagining I came up for other people who are looking for queer people. Mm -hmm. Also, there were some things that I was skeptical about. And I was like, this is suspicious. And Mm. I don't want to dig too hard because. But anyway, I said immediately on my profile, like I'm trans because I don't want to fuck around. And I feel like I'd rather just have it out there instead of having to do the like we're going on a few dates and then things are getting hot and heavy and then having to deal with that awkwardness.
1: yeah. That's fair.
0: Okay, I have two things. One is I just want to reference the fertility space and like being, Mm -hmm. trying to conceive and just the epicness of isolation that that can feel like. But for you, for Mm -hmm. everybody, nobody's alone in that, even though it's one of the loneliest journeys I feel like I've ever been a part of. And there's all kinds of ways that people become parents and some of them are your first choice and some of them are like the choice you didn't even know existed (laughs) when you started it you know there's just there's a million different things but it is it is really it's a very very lonely place to be in so i'm you know it seems like you guys support each other i
2: appreciate you saying that
0: a lot so that's yeah beautiful
2: yeah supporting each other is hard it's Very important, but hard, too, because there's only so much I can do at this stage. You know, Gianna's doing the doctor's appointment. She's testing her fertility, like everything. She has the load, and it is hard to not be fully a part of it, aside from talking to her about it, being there in as many ways as I can.
1: I feel like that is the dad journey, in a way, is you're not the body that's going to go through the thing. And so you have to like kind of be this partner and onlooker in a way. Like I'm sure it's frustrating. You know, I think dads get a, a rough rep sometimes just because they can't be the ones to carry, but it also yeah. must be frustrating. Well,
2: yeah, it's frustrating because I'm hyper aware of how uh the invisible labor like is being parsed out in this journey mm-hmm. and how within our relationship like how easy it has been to fall into those typical gender roles oh, and how, interesting I mean Gianna is a double Virgo so she does do a lot of these invisible labor things because she literally cannot not <laughs> but but it still plays into this women run the household mm. and have the groceries but I you know I don't even need to tell you how in all the ways but I'm already very hyper aware of how I am or I am not a part of that Mm -hmm. and so this is very heightened and then yeah and then one time we had I'm sure she'd be fine with this but one time we were having this fight and she was like why don't you just read the fucking baby books and I was like oh my god this is that movie right this is that like a 1950s sitcom or something yeah Yeah. or that fucking movie like it was some movie where what to
1: expect when you're expecting was that a movie also something
2: I don't know (laughs) But I was just—it's a real thing. Like I need to read them, and it's whether or not I find them fascinating or interesting or like whatever it is—a real thing. You've got to do it. That's a way of of caring labor, right?
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Like even just the act of doing it, even if you don't retain anything, for
2: sure. Yeah, it's it means a lot.
0: Oh my God, it's.
2: Liz, what was the second thing you were going to talk about? Okay. So. I love how our conversation has been so many things. It's really fun. Agreed. It's cute.
0: Okay. So this is where it's, I don't want to make everybody uncomfortable simultaneously. So here we (laughs) go. But you guys have a very like Instagram friendly relationship. And I don't mean on the inside and with each other, but like, this is where I'm like, oh God. But you're both very good looking, and like when that comes together on Instagram, you know it's. And sometimes people are more or less aware of like looks influence yeah. life or whatnot. But you're both strikingly good looking human beings, and you know it changes like the level of investment. Everybody stops longer, yeah, to pay attention because. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, which is unfair, you know, to the rest of us humble, humble trolls, <laughs> humble beings. <laughs> no. Oh my humble god! Trolls. But I mean, okay, that, don't answer that. That's like, but it is a, it's a part of it. And just because yeah. we're talking about dating and Instagram and being in love and public persona, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna bring it up. And is that horrifying to have brought up? On no, all?
2: not at all.
1: Well, I'm and not- I was actually gonna ask. Part of the reason I brought up Desiree was I know that you had gotten top surgery but have you done any other types of surgery to kind of enhance like male traits at all or mm. are you just naturally like you know a
2: beautiful man I appreciate that <laughs> no I haven't I'm just I just am what I
1: <laughs> I'm just naturally good looking uh... Extremely, really, really good looking. (laughs) Uh, Sorry,
0: I'm just trying um, to embarrass you. Sarah, sip it. We're just trying to embarrass you. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to.
2: It's really, it's really sweet. My Leo, my Leo loves it though. So that's fine. So back to that list. I think about that as in the lens though, as well as being a trans man. And like when I post a selfie or I do less thirst traps nowadays, but (laughs) like there's like another layer, there's another layer of affirmation that's happening where, so figure out where this lands for you. So there are a lot more women, straight cis women who will say, put fire, fire, fire on a picture of mine or comment on my appearance. They're more comfortable doing that to me. And I'm one, you know, and there's a lot of reasons why. Is it, because I'm trans, there's more safety, but that in turn can feel a little bit more like invalidating to an extent, like not being seen as a mm. man. And like, therefore, they're not actually attracted. They're not actually thinking I'm hot in the sense that they would maybe cis man, but they're like acknowledging that, oh, this trans guy is hot. He's safe. I can tell him. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, absolutely. A lot of people would not be doing flame, flame, flame on that, like, Our handler dude who posted a selfie who's super hot. Totally. That's super fair. It's it's, well,
0: yeah. I mean, I think it's also, you know, what you're saying is if so, let's say that cis woman is like, fire, 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 fire. (laughs) And then that person's, you know, boyfriend. I just want to note.
1: That Liz had the fire going up and down, like vertically, not horizontally, like they might appear in a comment. (laughs) She's like, no, fire, 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 up and down. That's because I was
0: referencing multiple comments.
1: Uh, Oh, okay. I okay. I thought you were like the one woman was like, fire, 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 fire.
0: No, it was like each person gets their one fire emoji and that happens vertically, not horizontally.
1: Yes, it totally does. Oh my God. You're so right. Continue.
0: I'm so right. Okay, so the thing that would feel kind of invalidating would be like, oh, does that person, if if their slightly jealous boyfriend saw it, you know, would they be like, that's fine because you know because Mm -hmm. that's a trans man?
2: Yeah, because I'm trans guy, and they're not they're not intimidated because they don't see me as a man. That's my theory, and I think it's yeah, I think it's.
1: Well, and how do you feel? Do you feel like someone, you know, in the people that you were looking to date, was it important that they included like wanting to date queer people or were you no. okay with someone that was just like, I've only ever dated cis men and here, here we go uh-huh. kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. So I wonder if, if they yeah. just didn't even know like, oh, it's, it's open, you know, to do. Yeah.
2: I think I'm was comfortable dating anybody Mm -hmm. that any woman that was whether they were straight or queer like that was fine sometimes and I tried not to go in the rabbit hole too deep but sometimes I date somebody who would never dated a a trans man or a woman before Mm -hmm. and then the next relationship they'd be with somebody there's just so many ways that like you can really fucking get in your head about stuff Mm -hmm. and around dating and it's very scary but where am I going here? Um, no, it doesn't matter. Like it didn't matter at all. And sometimes it was m- more comfortable and safe that it was a queer woman as opposed to a straight woman. And then also it would call in a question like their identity, right? Mm-hmm. If a straight woman was suddenly dating me, does that mean that we're in a queer relationship? I would say yes, but yeah straight but there's just there's the spectrum right there's just so many yeses and nos happening simultaneously and it's too hard to say it
1: and some of those beliefs are just so like invisibly rooted in your programming that like Mm. probably those women did not even think about
2: it you know that's there's a chance of that too and god hope goddess whatever. Hopefully. I mean, I yeah, right. feel yeah.
0: like I'm still, by the way, sitting and I don't want anybody to answer this question, but I'm still embarrassed that I said that I'm like still sort of dying. But you know, I think that one of the reasons why people can put the fire emoji and then part of it is, I think you're like, you're not giving yourself enough credit for it. I think that when I hear that somebody is trans like it doesn't make me question their masculinity as being any you know their masculinity is masculinity but i do feel less unsafe like i feel less i feel a little more freedom to just to be playful yeah. to be not flirty because
1: yeah. mm mm-hmm, the The fear of judgment is less. I I actually,
0: I do relax a little bit. And part of what I relax about, and this is actually something I wanted to bring up, is that I partially relax because I feel like because of how much trans men, trans women have had to go through to align Mm -hmm. their physicality with their inside selves, they're not going to judge me as harshly as when I see, when I'm around cis men. And I, I can't, I will never be comfortable around cis men with my sexual orientation with the legacy of the eating disorder and body dysmorphia. I I can't get away from feeling judged. I feel like I'm in a box. It's just everything about me is embarrassing. Like it's just so pervasive that it's like when I'm in queer spaces and Mm. my whole life is in queer spaces. Like I live in my house with my son and upstairs is my best friend and her wife. And they're raising their two boys. And so we're raising our kids kind of together in this.
2: That's so beautiful.
0: Anti-heteronormative space. And that wasn't like intentional to make a statement. It was just like the way, the way our, our. It
1: just came together. It
0: just came together because that's the way the extended kinship family in my life works. Mm, And, you know, my mm. friendship circles weight heavily queer. And, you know, that's just alongside the fact that my my sexuality doesn't but right you know I've just always I've been able to like the amount of pain and shame I feel about my physical body for some reason has always felt less intense in queer spaces and I'm able to come in more freely and I'm able to let my you know Tummy, yeah. breathe out more, and you know I don't know if that's because that's what I'm bringing to it, or if that's because people have so intentionally created identity, and the body is so much a part of that that we're sort of like yeah. you know like slightly more comrade in it. I don't know. I don't want to be like a Rachel Dolezal where it's you know I'm black because I feel like I'm black. You know that was a horrifying uh-huh. cultural moment, and you know I I am not saying I feel like I'm trans. I know time, you're not but, saying like, that at all, claiming that yeah. identity. But that has always been like sort of a question for me.
2: Well, because these people, I think you already said it. And that's I feel like we've as queer folks have like we're breaking the rules. We're breaking them to fit ourselves and what we want. And so you're just intuiting that there's that space where you can do that for yourself.
1: Yeah, I love that. And just the fact of having to accept yourself outside of society's rules means there's like a level of open heartedness that has to be applied to yourself and others going through that. And also the people that maybe aren't on board with your decisions, you know, like Eli, that you are still in contact with your family. There's like an element of like, just open heartedness that you're gifting to them to just say, this is where you're at. I'm still okay with you and will love you despite maybe your silence or whatever, you know? And so I think, yeah, I wouldn't have thought of it that way. But once Liz started talking about that, that totally makes sense. That makes it more safe to be just who you are, you know, which I think maybe is just part of the journey of if you feel like you don't fit society's norms, you're in some way kind of chipping away at some of the blocks, you know. Yeah.
2: And I another point to the Instagram likes is uh or another level that we sort of talked about but that at one point I had to add I before I put up a selfie I made a mention like please do not comment mm. on my physical appearance because I don't want to be the guideline to which trans men or trans people need to achieve there are way too many paths and different wants and needs. And so to objectify me, although I love it. Also, I think it's very harmful for the community mm. at large to see all of these people rewarding me because I was able to fit back into the other binaries so neatly. And that's, that's really harmful. And it's so, I am just a part of the community. I am not at all, you know, yeah. I think you know what I'm trying to say. That's really but generous. It,
1: because if anyone said I looked hot on Instagram, like, I would be here for it. <laughs> but I get <can't> what <laughs> I know.
2: <laughs> I mean, I am. I said that, like, absolutely. But I think it's important to remember that, like, I. Yeah, Some no, of absolutely. these people probably feel. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah. wow. He, yeah. He really. You f- mm. took a risk and it paid off. You know what I mean? Like, there's a level of that.
1: Yeah, I'm sure testosterone too hits everyone's bodies differently. And maybe you can speak to that a little bit just about the changes that happen from that and like both adverse and Mm -hmm. maybe positive. I don't know.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. There's a lot there. For a period of first few years was like extreme in the sense that it was, I was going through male puberty. So I was going through second puberty.
0: Yeah, I was going to say like adolescence.
2: Yeah. So... It was everything that would happen to a cis boy was happening to me, but also sort of simultaneously menopause. Oh, interesting. So like I would get major hot flashes because like like the testosterone was battling the estrogen.
1: Right. It was like shutting it down. Exactly.
2: So it was like Mm. all that. And so as an I mean, I don't wish this on anybody to be an adult going through a childhood Transition, like it literally does bring you back to this raw emotions in every way, but also going through an older lady's menopause at the same time. So it's fucking insane. It's really insane. And where am I going? Oh, the testosterone. Yeah. And so also, I came into myself more. I really started to embrace my Sagittarius, Leo, whatever, so much mm-hmm. more because I was more in myself and embodied. Mm but with that said i think this is a rare case and maybe not rare but like it's certainly not the standard is that testosterone did with feeling more embodied my voice became louder literally in every way and so whether i was in an argument what the way i argued is different the way like i am my nervous system is always on the edge i have mm. emotional regulation issues and so with testosterone, it just sort of made it fucking worse. And so it's been a learning lesson of let's remember how to be a human being. But I'm battling against all the ways in which cis men are horrible and like also doing the same shit. I yell when I am arguing. I, If I don't feel heard and I don't feel seen, I yell. And that is Mm. scary to somebody else whose triggers are feeding off Both of our things are just back and forth. She'll shut down and I rise up. So anyway, I have to simultaneously try and figure out how to be myself and learn to not yell, but also not be shamed of anger. That is at the root of it, learning how to live and be angry, how to let it out in positive ways, but also just because your voice is raised does not mean violence. It doesn't mean but it can be read, read that way. So, yeah. And that is me. And that's how testosterone has changed my ability to really find my voice. And in some cases, that can be through anger and yelling. And that's been the scariest thing, I think, because it's reads so cis. Oh, interesting. It's so patriarchal. It's so awful. And so, It's this battle of not hating myself, but also trying to nurture myself through it.
1: Well, and I'm someone who grew up in like an Italian family. So there was like a lot of yelling on my mom's Mm -hmm. side. And so it was a lot of these like women being kind of loud. And so I was a yeller. But I think I struggle with the same kind of self-loathing when it comes to that. Because especially if you're around people who didn't grow up that way, it comes off so violent, you know? And like people are like, what? Whereas I grew up, where it's just like everybody's yelling all the time. You're know, in as far as the women, so I think it's interesting that it's gendered for you because for me it was always like Italian, you yeah. know. But I think it doesn't mean that like the shame isn't real around like what it is right. to be angry. And I feel like Jessica and Yadu, like a lot of the episodes that I really identify with that she does is her giving advice to people who are like struggling to contain or manage their anger. anger.
2: Right? Oh, yeah, I. I'm on every word. Yeah, I am. I listen to that.
1: How do you, how do you kind of find a mm. cathartic outlet? You know, because you can't mm. really repress it. If that's like what you're going through.
2: No, I have. I have to be moving my body all the time. I really I cannot have a job that where I sit. I have to be moving my body. I have to work out. I've got to do it. And I know when I don't do it, that's when I start to get a little cranky. And, and that is not to say that exercise, because I think exercise can be bypassing the root of that. But it does make me feel better. It doesn't solve anything necessarily, but it does help soothe stuff. And I think some of that layered anger is that I am white, I'm cis passing, I'm part of a group of people that have are Mm -hmm. oppressors. And so there's the anger with of that. But also simultaneously trying to battle right the the way that I act sometimes is that. And that is a mind fuck. I mean,
1: yeah. Do you have more compassion for
2: cis white men now?
1: Absolutely.
2: Controversial. It's easier for me to see like that framework and like the that for the most part, they're just being rule followers and they've been beaten down into this shell of a a person in a way where the only thing that can really foster is resentment and anger and frustration there's like very little ways to be expressive other than being physically violent or Mm. angry you can't cry you can't make art beautifully like you can't dance there's just so many feminine Mm -hmm. things that help process anger right so I don't know I'm blabbing like crazy but
1: no, this no, is super fascinating. Thank you for sharing.
2: I
0: mean, this is why sports, yes. obviously, and wrestling, football, and if you can't cry and you can't... You can only dominate mm-hmm.
2: and control. ...hate
0: and you can't, like, talk about your feelings. Yeah. yeah. You just have to watch people give each other head injuries on the television.
1: Yeah. And, like, your connection is through the team. It's not through your love of this other human. It's, like... That's too much. You know, you got to identify with like, oh, well, we're teammates. So then we can be bonded,
2: you know? Yeah, exactly. I can only slap your butt if you have a uniform on.
1: (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Yeah. And really get in America. there. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> right. But then I can do it like 50 times yeah. in a row. And <laughs> really like yes. sort of like, because there's like a butt slap from the top, the middle like and cup. the bottom. And I feel like there's yeah. a lot of like yes. bottom, butt, you know, like when you swoop up at the end of a butt yeah. slap, like.
2: <laughs> oh Definitely. That's very homoerotic. Yeah. For sure.
0: That's a different butt slap, <laughs> yeah. Like a butt slap that ends in like a gentle cup. <laughs> it's like
1: a whole different thing. Well, like Top Gun volleyball yeah, scene, like, just oh my you know, for um, example, <laughs> case study. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. For, for example, okay. This is my the thing about having to move your body and all, and just to feel sort of neuroregulated. So this is just because of Lange's, his autism diagnosis and his ADHD stuff is I've become much more aware of the relationship between body motion and being somatically, like neurologically ready for the world. And so that was something I never thought about before. But the way somebody does like meditation or deep breathing, and it's like, okay, now I'm ready. Like a lot of people, like you physically have to move or squeeze or touch or sort of throw yourself against a wall to sim. Yeah, to stim yeah. to be neurologically ready to give and receive. Yeah. And without it, you are you are unable to do it. And it's just like breathing, but our world doesn't have a space for that. Right. So it's like when I go to Langy school, and it's so beautiful. And you know, kids are kind of like if they have to run against a wall to kind of do it. They have this like bouncy mm, thing, which yeah. like basically just like shaking you off. look like you're in a dryer, you know, oh, wow. <laughs> so you're like, you're being tumble dry. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just beautiful to understand Definitely. how the body and like our neurological intellectual emotional responses have to line up.
2: Yeah. I resonate with that so much. I don't have an autism diagnosis and I, I don't think that I'm there, but you know, I have had an ADHD diagnosis for my life mm. and But I never knew enough about it. And it isn't just, it's like, just not being able to focus on a task is literally just the littlest bit of what ADHD actually is. And that Mm -hmm. knowing that it is emotional dysregulation and the inability to bring yourself down and needing to stimulate. And Mm. I used to throw my head against the couch all the time. I used to throw Mm -hmm. tantrums because I was just needing to feel. And it's that still feels so, that feels like wisdom as a kid where i need to learn how to do oh interesting
1: he's like crossing his arms and hitting
2: his shoulders for the listeners yeah this like it feels really good to do this type of stuff and like hit yourself Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and you feel oh
0: yeah totally squeeze 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 squeeze
2: yeah oh yeah and so and like my therapist is always like okay hold on where do you feel this where is a where's a spot in your body that feels neutral? And sometimes I'm like fucking nowhere. And then we're like ground your foot, feel your foot, feel your foot. And then I feel really hot. Yeah. And then there's just so much trying to move energy. It's very kind of like energy work. It really actually, that is what stimming is.
1: Yeah. I, I was just gonna say like a lot of the energy work I do is like being hyper aware of like shifts in your body, like in different places or feeling different vibrations. So that's super interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Sensory seeking. I mean, sensory seeking until you get the level of sensory that you need, you will not be ready Mm. for the conversation. You won't be ready for the, You know, and you have to figure out how to get it in socially acceptable ways.
1: Right. That's the whole challenge, right? Yeah. Um,
0: that are not, which are not.
1: Cause we could all just like bounce around being in the dryer, but <laughs> not at the meeting. So, but
0: it's at, like you have to find ways to like give your, you know, give your calf a squeeze under the table without disrupting, you know, you're like, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. But,
1: well, really quick, Eli, like what's coming up for you? You just finished a new body of paintings and I loved how you were like, you know, it's not important that they're going anywhere because they're not right now,
2: you know? Yeah. That's total self-preservation comment because, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and that's true. Like they're going nowhere, and I don't have anything. But I, but I'm glad that you asked because I'm able to say okay. Like it feels okay saying I don't have anything coming up. But except for that, yeah. I you know, still making work. I'm doing that shit, and that's feeling like a lot. But it's, it's yeah. Um, but yeah, find me on the gram. Yeah, we'll put all the link in show notes. <laughs> fire fire all my photos including <laughs> my paintings not just my face yeah
1: fire 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, up yeah, yeah, and down up and down his instagram
0: that was so obvious oh
2: you guys this is so lovely you two are the Aww, best i thanks, really appreciate eli. This
1: thank you here. so much eli you're our favorite fan <laughs> i know Aww. just kidding we
2: love
0: everyone
2: <laughs> <laughs> no but for real <laughs>
1: no but but yeah. seriously yeah. thank you so much That's all for this week's episode. Thanks for side-wooing with us. We release episodes every other
0: week on Thursday. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast for good karma points. Until we meet again in the Woo.